Um, hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy, my co-host, with me. How you doing, Darcy? Good. I just finished a really hard Peloton workout, so Ooh. I am exhausted. I'm like super sweaty, so I'm probably going to be freezing. And I feel like everybody's like, doing that lately, the Peloton thing. It's the best. I love it. I see it so many things on social media. So dis- I, I really do. Despite love it. the it's death on what 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 was that show? Se- the, the Sex of the City thing. <laughs> People are still into it. Yeah, I mean, I, that was that ended up being really funny, but I mean, it was it not it's not dangerous it was, it was just general exercise but it's the the thing that i found that has like made me enjoy exercising at my age so i'm sticking with it i love it since i can't play volleyball anymore because my knees messed up i just played last night what did you stop it i had so much fun it was such a good night um we had a yeah. sub that was this girl we never get, so I'm the only girl on the team. It's a co-ed team. I'm the only female. Um, mm-hmm. But this girl came in and sub for us. She's like 6'1", and like, Ooh. <laughs> she was a killer player. So it was really yes. fun to play with her because she was like, she had really good ball control skills, and like, it was just fun awesome. to have another female that like was, and we're playing on a men's net, so it's yeah. like you can't hit the same, you know, because, well, she could because she was tall, but yeah, it was fun. It was a fun, fun yeah. night, and we kicked ass, so kick butt sorry nice didn't mean to curse um anyway and then we both talked about our physical endeavors for the last couple of days <laughs> i'm only playing once a week by the way i wish i was playing yeah. more but i'm only playing once a week so that's good enough i guess more than i'm getting um the brian landry thing you saw that right they yes. deciphered the I'm- notebook so well, so I haven't seen anything more than what they that they've just said that he admitted to killing her in the notebook. I haven't seen anything like. Have they released anything from the notebook? No. Okay. It just says that basically Brian Landry scrawled messages in a notebook admitting that he's killed his girlfriend. Um, the FBI said in a statement Friday as they announced that their investigation into the couple's death is now closed. So yeah, they're done. The notebook was found alongside his remains, obviously in that area in Florida, back in October of last year. After police said he killed Petito while they were traveling the country in a van. Here's a question I have. His remains, so he was apparently in that national park or that state park or whatever it was, mm-hmm. in that swampy area for a while, and it was like underwater, and he, he his remains were very decomposed. How is it a notebook was found? I don't a know. Paper notebook. I need more information about I that. I don't know. And and I mean, I granted, I feel as though. Because they said his remains, along with a notebook, a backpack, and a revolver, were eventually found October 20th after his parents decided to search the park again with law enforcement. So mm-hmm. the area had flooded during the earlier searches, the FBI said. Um, a medical examiner concluded in November that Landry died by suicide from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Mm-hmm. So here's my thought. One of two things happened. Either number one, they had to take the time to decipher the notebook um, because it had been water damaged. So obviously it had not disintegrated, which seems a little mm-hmm. odd because usually paper kind of disintegrates when it hit, gets yeah. in the water, right? But if it's in his backpack, maybe maybe it just got a little wet and then the water went away and it receded and maybe they had trouble with it, but they when it took it into the lab and figured it out by, you know, pressing on the paper and doing some kind of weird, you know, forensics yeah. type stuff to figure out what was in there. Or second option, parents go drop the notebook off. I don't know that I want to say that they dropped the notebook off. 
I, I think that they probably, I still feel like they were involved in the sense of they knew where he was before they. Yeah, I, the I think so too. They had to know I'm something. not, yeah, I'm not sure they pl- like planted the notebook. I just, like. You think the, that the they knew all are, along and they led the police to the body. I think they led the police once they knew that he was no longer going to be alive, I think. But Ugh, like. That's brutal. It's. It's not like, it's just, it's not adding up in terms of like, because they're saying, okay, well, they couldn't find him the first time. They already had searched that area. And they're like, oh, well, it was because this was underwater. And then the water receded. That's how we found him. And then also right beside him, we found a paper notebook. And there were no issues with that. Like, yeah. so the stories aren't matching up. It just up, doesn't so. add up. Yeah. I just feel like, too, you know, if what's the purpose in hiding all this from the police and trying to cover up for this kid? Like, so you can keep him out of jail for a little bit longer. Like, if he's guilty, you have an obligation, and you know he's guilty. And that's the only reason I think that they could hide for him, is they knew he was guilty. Right. I don't know. I mean... You have an obligation to tell the police if you know the guilt of this kid. I don't care if it's your son. I just don't see there's any excuse on this planet for you to cover up for someone who commits a crime like this. Yeah, I don't... uh... I mean, I don't have an explanation. Obviously, none of it makes any logical sense from the get-go. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about no. it. But like, I just, I, I just feel like they knew more. They know more than, or they knew more at the time than they were letting on. You yeah. know what I mean? Agreed. But I don't know the answers to it. So no, I don't know that anybody does or will. I mean, right. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, yeah. it just sounds like the police have closed this, so I don't see I why so. they would charge anyone if it's closed anyway so yeah well let's move on to the main case for the day this is a a detailed and kind of crazy one so i think it's going to go the full hour possibly but i'm going to talk about the case of brian wells okay at first when i told you the name you didn't recognize it but then when i mentioned the name like what happened in it you were immediately like oh yeah yes yeah (laughs) brian is such a common name so i was like oh is this another story with a brian in it yeah and i think that's i think that's generally the case with most people as well like they yeah hear the familiar ones and they're like oh no that one but they they know the circumstances and the facts behind the case but not necessarily the names of some of these folks that are involved in these cases but the Brian Wells case. Okay, let's set the stage. This whole thing happened in 2003, in the summer of 2003. The space shuttle Columbia had disintegrated that summer Ooh. on the reentry into the Earth's atmosphere. We need to cover that one. Seven astronauts were killed in that incident. And I remember I was driving from Washington State to California when that happened. And just, I was on the... the that's a long drive. I think it's like a little bit yeah. less than 2,000 miles, but I remember hearing about it when that happened and just being like, wow, I can't yeah. believe it. Like, after the space shuttle, the previous disaster that had happened. Oh, sorry, that's the one I was thinking of, Challenger, that we need to do. Yeah. Because Columbia, I do remember happening. But I remember just people being so shocked, and, like, mm-hmm. after the, the other one, the Challenger disaster, yeah. people were like, oh, it's not going to happen again, and then this happened. Yeah. So yep. devastating. Um, the Human Genome Project was completed that year. Oh, yeah, wow. They sequenced about 99% of the human genome. They started in 1990, and they were doing it basically to gather understanding, predicting, and curing diseases for the future. Mm-hmm. That finished that year. I remember hearing all about that in, in vast detail. Um, the f- Whatever happened with that? Like, what was the end goal of that? I think that they're still using it. They're using it oh, for okay. the breast cancer um, developments okay. and a number of other diseases. You know, you've heard about that, right? They now have the, the testing where they can see if you have the gene so that you can take, yes. you know, early detection and, 
and have a removal if you think you know that it's going to impact you significantly and it's just i think that they're using it still so okay um okay, yeah the final concord flight took place that year that's that supersonic high-end yep. passenger jet evidently um they had that crash in 2000 and then september 11th happened and so the, the passenger numbers got extremely low and so they decided oh, i don't think i knew they had a crash they had a, a significant crash in 2000 oh, okay. uh-huh um and so they basically just decided eh, we're gonna yeah. put, a, put a nix on this one and and call it a day yeah uh mm. The Department of Homeland Security officially started that year. Yep. Mm -hmm. We created an entirely new department and ca uh, cabinet. And office. the U.S. begins planting. Uh, the U.S. begins planning the invasion of Iraq due to the weapons of mass destruction that year as well. That was huge. Uh, due to the reports report of the weapons of, of mass weapons destruction. of mass destruction. I want to make that yeah. clear because we all learned later that there wasn't yeah. really anything there. But anyway, different different story, different podcast. Uh, the shock and awe campaign began with the U.S. and the U.K. and their massive airstrikes on Baghdad before the land forces started to invade. Mm -hmm. Saddam Hussein was captured by the U.S. This is also about the time we changed the name of French fries to Freedom Fries. Yeah, I was going to cover that later on in my list. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 393 tornadoes were reported this year, which was the Jesus. most in U.S. history during any one single week. Uh, there was a massive earthquake in Algeria that killed 2,200 people. God. Big one, right? And yeah. uh, I have to think, though, that some of these major earthquakes that happened in some of the countries like Algeria and some of the other countries, I don't necessarily know that they would have the significant loss of life like they have here because building codes are different, um, construction, mm -hmm. architecture, a lot of the really, really old buildings and things like that, I think, contribute to the larger death numbers than we would perhaps have here in the United States, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Lance Armstrong won his fifth Tour de France that year. With an asterisk. Uh-huh. The Do Not Call list came out to prevent telemarketing, if you want to get involved in that. What a, what a good idea that was that never actually was affected. Never got off the ground. Sky Marshals started flying to prevent terrorist attacks that year as yes. well. That was a big thing. Freedom Fries, as you mentioned. Yep. Uh, because we were protesting France's take on Iraq. They were like, we yes. don't want anything to do with this. Bye. Because we wanted to go in as a coalition yes. with the UK and France and all of this. And, and they, they were, were like, like uh -uh. we're not doing Bye. it. <laughs> so we were like, well, we can't support France. We don't like so your fries, damn it. <laughs> freedom fries, freedom toast. Yeah, just, I remember was, that. That was ridiculous. It was very dumb. Ultimately, didn't really do anything. France was no. still like, here's the middle finger. We don't care. And France is still right. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Toyota beat out Chrysler to become the number three automaker in the U.S. Auto sales, sorry, in the U.S. Oh, I was like, huh? Okay, yeah. Uh, John Muhammad found guilty in the Washington Sniper Ooh, shootings case. Yeah. That was a big one. We'll cover that and case Malibu. at some point. That's a good one, too. Yep. The, uh, the Orca from the Free Willy movies died that yeah. year. Keiko, the Orca. Aww. That's so sad. Mm -hmm. Apple launched iTunes that year. Oh, my gosh. And we've never looked back. <laughs> nope. <laughs> a white tiger attacked Roy Horn of, C of Siegfried and Roy, yep. leaving him partially paralyzed that year. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael Jackson was booked on the child molestation counts and later acquitted. Mm. Also a footnote. Uh, let's see here. The movies that came out that year were Finding Nemo, Matrix Reloaded, Bruce Almighty, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, The Last Samurai, Bad Boys 2, Lost in Translation, Pirates, Curse of the Black Pearl, and Terminator 3. I think that was the year of sequels. 
Yeah, it sounds There's like it. There's a lot of like sequels going on that year. Music was Elton John, Beyonce, Limp Bizkit, Coldplay, Christina Aguilera, Nora Jones, they Avril Lavigne, 50 Cent, Shania Twain, Blink-182, Cheryl Crow, you know, the huge suspects, Justin Timberlake. Oh, man. P. Diddy. The early aughts. I so remember that those years. That was like I had... I had graduated from law school, like, right about that time. Yeah. And I just remember it very vividly, like, all the things that were going on, the music, the culture, the clothes. Yeah. Uh, during like that time 96 period. Like, 96 to 2008-ish was, like, my time to shine, oh, like, yeah. music-wise. Oh, yeah. That was, that was the best. Harley Davidson turned 100 that year. Whoa. The last old-style Beatle rolled off the Volkswagen line mm-hmm. that year. I think they've come back since then, I want to say. Like, they've Yeah, they, they reinvented like, it. the design of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, another interesting thing happened that year. The electricity supply failed in Italy, causing countrywide blackouts. There oh. was a, also one here. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But uh, Gray Davis was recalled as governor in California, and Arnold Schwarzenegger replaced him. Yeah, I'll be back. That was the year, like, everybody and their mother ran for governor. Yeah, seriously. It was, like, a complete sideshow. That was just, like... Like, Gary Coleman ran, Crazy, yeah. I think it was, like, yeah. the most insane election ever that yeah. year. And Arnold won, which, again, yes. everyone that lived anywhere near, on, around California was just, like, baffled by that whole thing. They just thought it was really wild. Yes. Anyway, uh, Army PFC Jessica Lynch was captured that year and tortured and Ooh. freed nine days later. That was a big thing. Remember that? Yep. Uh, 40,000 were killed in a massive earthquake in southern Iran. 40,000. Whoa. That's insane. Yeah. And again, architecture's different. They have a lot of really old, ancient buildings in that, because that's the cradle of civilization right there. And so they have a lot of, like, yeah, mud and dirt know, and brick like... buildings that are really old. And, yeah, I feel like that contributes in, in large part to such a high number of deaths for an earthquake. Yeah. Anyway, there was a heat wave in France that killed 5,000 that year. Ooh. George W. Bush announced plans to attack, to attack Iraq. Again, we mentioned kind of that foreshadowing earlier. Also the year that Justice Roy Moore suspended was suspended for refusing to take down the Ten Commandments from the Alabama State Justice Building. You remember that case? Let's talk about... I could spend an hour on that, that alone. That was wild. And then he tried to... He, ugh, okay, moving forward. That's a he's different still, episode. He's... he's <laughs> Yes, the whole a whole episode, episode but itself. also he is currently still um, serving as a judge. And in, in no, no, no. But he was reelected to the Supreme Court after that, by the way. And then he was um, booted again because he refused to acknowledge same-sex marriage. Um, but he's currently involved in a lawsuit because of his last attempt to run for oh, wow. Senate. That's fun. It's he. I anyway. Alabama politics. Don't even don't even <laughs> get me started. Yeah. Um, Hurricane Isabel killed 40 and left 6 million without power that year. Oof. The SARS, severe acute respiratory syndrome, spread from yeah. China and Vietnam that year and caused everyone to completely panic for no apparent reason because it ended up dying out and we were like, oh, yeah. we were worried for nothing. The biggest blackout in U.S. history happened that year with 50 million in the Northeast and Southern Canada losing power, which really wild, right? I don't remember that and I remember all. everyone just kind of panicking because they thought it had something to do with terrorism and terrorist attacks oh, and the whole, yeah. you know, related to September 11th. And, oh, my gosh, yeah. we all the whole country's going down and we're all going to we're all going to die. Yeah, it was it was yeah. a lot of panic that year. The first horse was cloned by Italian scientists that year. I didn't know we ever cloned a horse. Pretty wild. Yeah. 
top songs for that year were In the Club by 50 Cent, mm. mm-hmm. Get Busy by Sean Paul, and Crazy in Love with Beyonce. Okay. Okay. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> okay. So here we are. We're on Lake Erie in the southeast shore of, we have Erie, Pennsylvania. Okay. Okay. It's the northernmost city and happens to also be the third biggest city in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. It's known for fishing and it's got a pretty close proximity to Cleveland, Ohio, Buffalo, New York, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Detroit. So it's got some big cities kind of surrounding mm-hmm. it. In the 50s to 70s range, they had a huge boom there. This is the Rust Belt. This is where metal work happens and industrial meccas of the U.S. are built. There's a lot of natural resources. There's iron, there's coal, there's steel. These areas are very prosperous to begin with once they start to build on that industry. Mm -hmm. And Erie was no exception. Yeah. They have a huge port there. It was very popular for manufacturing and the trade was huge. Um, But everything began to kind of contract when manufacturing was moved out of the country and many large companies started to kind of follow suit. By the 1980s, there was an economic downturn that was in full swing. And by early 2000s, there was a huge decline with about a 27% population decline for Erie and surrounding areas. And that says, you know, abandoned factories become the norm as well as kind of run down neighborhoods crumbling with neglect and lack of money for upkeep. Yeah. A, a lot of that happened in cities like Detroit, yes. like Erie. All of those cities kind of experiencing sort of a same downturn. And nearly a quarter of the population lives at or below the poverty line. Gosh. So it's really, really just poor. Uh, most common crimes are theft and robbery. There's not very high murder rates. There's very little gang problems in this area mm-hmm. of Erie. And then there's Brian Wells. Okay. Okay. Brian Wells was born November 15th, 1956. He was one in five brothers. He had five brothers and sisters. Okay. And he was born in Warren, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. His parents, Rose and Harold, were ordinary in every way. His father was a Korean war vet. And they lived like thousands of other families in that Rust Belt area of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So very unremarkable kind of a background. Although his family seemed to be tight-knit, they just were very ordinary. But at the age of 16, Wells dropped out of high school and began working as a mechanic after poor grades, and his father was also diagnosed with MS around mm. that time, which I think was a pretty rare diagnosis at that time in history. And he said 50-something? Yeah, yeah, and a man, too, because most people that are diagnosed with it are females. Yeah. But anyway... Um, This must have been very challenging. Brian was average intelligence, but he had some kind of minor mental health issues. But by the time he was 33, his dad had died. Mm. And he had a couple little brushes with the law for threats of assault and some other little kind of minor things. But by 2003, Brian had been working as a pizza delivery man for for nearly three decades. Yeah. And he'd been at for 10 years with the same company. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of stable at that point. When he's not at work, he watches movies, he enjoys puzzles, he plays a little guitar, he has three cats, he likes working on repairing, working on and repairing old cars, he also likes scavenger hunts, Um, he has some kind of minor drug and alcohol use, Mm -hmm. a little bit of struggles with that, he lives alone, doesn't have kids, Um, but I think his main kind of a vice is that he has a lot of relations with sex workers. Okay. And he sees them a few times a month, minimum. Okay. Right. Um, 
he's got a couple, two in particular, that he kind of deals with on the regular, and there are some drug and alcohol issues, and they always need money, these friends of his that are sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, his shift is 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., and his life is pretty simple. He's a little shy, but friendly. He's polite, helpful, low-key, and he has plans that night to hang out with his mom after work. He only works and a three-hour shift? Yeah, he works a very, sh- like, he works works the lunch hour shift. I guess that's, yeah, I guess that's a pretty busy time for a I don't see how somebody can, I don't see how somebody can live off that. I mean, it seems like that's not very much money. Like, you, it's a short shift, and I don't know. it doesn't seem like you'd be able to survive with that. But I don't get the sense that he was, you know, wealthy or no. well off or anything. But it seems like, wow, that's, that's not very much money to survive on. Yeah. But um, August 28th, 2003... Brian clocks in for his job as a pizza delivery guy at Mamma Mia's Pizzeria. It's summertime, and it's around lunch, and the restaurant was small. It's in a shopping plaza like thousands of other small restaurants Mm -hmm. around the country. It's kind of unassuming, but it's busy for that time of the day. Brian gets that that 1.30 delivery call, and he... It's interesting. The call, I guess, from what reports say, it was kind of hard to understand the caller, so Brian actually took the call and the delivery. Okay. And it's two small pepperoni pizzas. And he takes those two pizzas and pulls out of the parking lot, as he has hundreds of times before. He's driving his little green Geo Metro hatchback. Mm-hmm. Super classic, mm-hmm. by the way. And super gas efficient. I remember a friend of mine, one of my close girlfriends, had one of those. She had a little white one. Yeah. That thing was a gutless wonder. She got a <laughs> ticket. I think she got a ticket for going like 100 miles oh my per gosh. hour or something like that. And she took it to court. And one, because she claimed that car didn't have enough power to go as fast as they were That's claiming awesome. she'd gone, and she won the case. That is it's awesome. crazy. Anyway. Heck yeah, Geo. Side note. Anyway, less than five miles from the pizzeria, Brian Wells pulls down a dirt road near a TV tower. Mm-hmm. He gets out of the car with his delivery of the two small pizzas, and before he knows what's happening, something bad happens. So. I don't think we acknowledge how dangerous a job a delivery driver is. No. Like, they get robbed and beat up all the time. So, they do. But Brian Wells gets out of the car with his delivery of two small pizzas. Before he knows what's happening, he's tackled, and a bomb is attached to his chest and neck. Around his neck. It's like a collar bomb, they said. Yeah. He is then instructed to pull into the PNC bank. Which he does. Around 2.27 p.m., he walks Mm -hmm. into the bank. CCTV cameras capture this balding, middle-aged Brian walking into the bank. And he looks so unassuming. He's just kind of balding with some kind of heavy, thick glasses and just kind of like an average, middle-class, Midwestern type of a dude. But they capture him him walking into the bank, and he's calm, kind of seems unconcerned. And he's carrying what passenger, what passerbys think is just a cane, but it's actually a shotgun with a curved handle. Oh. Security notices his white T-shirt with something very bulky beneath with a metal collar coming up to wrap around his neck. Could you imagine? Like, you're, you're just being a security guard in Erie, yeah. Pennsylvania. And, like, in walks this guy wearing this. Totally expressionless. He hands over a four-page note to the teller. And directs the employees to gather $250,000 and put it in a bag. A four-page? Yeah, I, I have no idea why the note would that's be four pages if it's basically like just yeah, like, really long. unless he wrote really big. 
<laughs> like, he, like he's writing a high school paper. One word. And per. all of this needs to be done within 15 minutes. He's like giving him this time frame, get it done. But the bank manager is at lunch. So Brian shows them the bomb attached to this locked uh-huh. metal collar. And she's like, I'm sorry, dude, I can't access the vault without the manager. But she does manage to gather mm-hmm. around eight grand from the tellers and pulling out, you know, whatever they have on site in their drawers. And she gives it to Brian. Yeah. Brian then grabs the money and exits around 2.38 p.m. He seems pretty chill and even helped himself to some of those little suckers that they keep at the counter and just mm-hmm. has a little, little sucker as he's walking out. He gets into his car and he reads the directions um, in his car. He reads some directions. And okay. he then heads to a McDonald's parking lot where he grabs a rock that has a note attached to it and reads it. It seems like he's on some kind of bizarre scavenger hunt. And yeah. he seems like he's in no hurry to run away from the recent bank robbery. And that's kind of perplexing to people that saw him later, mm-hmm. right? Because you think, you know, you've got a bomb strapped to your chest. You'd want to get help immediately. But he's doing this scavenger hunt. Well... Yeah, and also in general, I mean, if you just walk in and rob a bank, like, you want to typically flee yeah, the scene. Like, you're exactly. not trying to hang around. Um, he then goes to another location, and by then it's around 2.49 p.m., and that's where state troopers nab him. And they cuff him, mm-hmm. and he's basically told to sit down, and other police begin arriving, and he's warning everyone, hey, I've got this bomber on my neck. Like, we need to get help mm-hmm. immediately. So they call in the bomb squad and the FBI. By about 3.04 p.m., Brian is getting more anxious, and he starts to tell them that a group grabbed him at his last pizza delivery. It was three black men, and they put the bomb on him and gave him written directions to complete a list of tasks. Mm -hmm. Okay, his first task on the list was that bank robbery. And he also claimed people were watching him to make sure he completed the required tasks as written in his directions. So it all seems like a really wild and crazy story to authorities who are just like, what is going yeah. on here? This is, I, we can't, we, can, we just can't. Officers managed to get the shirt off Brian and examine the bomb that's hanging from a metal collar around his neck. There was a white plastic digital clock attached and various colored wires with lots of locks and keyholes, which can you imagine? That's, yeah. Let's go ahead. I don't, I mean, yeah. No, I, I don't I don't have anything to say. I was just like expressing exacerbation. And I don't know. In the meantime though, when they're looking at this, they see that it has warnings and threats of shrapnel as well as booby traps and all kinds of other stuff on this. So it oh, is Jesus. really like it's sophisticated and detailed and although some yeah. of the elements of it are, are somewhat rudimentary, like it's a sophisticated bomb. Like it's legit. It's got yeah. booby traps, it's got a whole bunch of locks. I guess only a couple of them actually worked. The rest of them were kind of dummy locks to trick them. Right. So it's like one of those, like, if you try to, like, disarm it, so, it'll yeah, blow that, up. Yeah, that too. Like, when, you know, like, all But that first responders things. are like, oh, hell no. We're waiting for the bomb squad. We're not even going to try. As yes, they're gathering good information. Call. And they're questioning Brian. And they're asking him, mm-hmm. what? how do we get this off? And he relays to them that it takes keys. You need keys to get this bomb to... to and I am looking for the keys. That's what I was doing. I'm on this scavenger hunt of sorts. I have to get these list of tasks completed. And once completed, the keys will be there and I can unlock this collar and take it off. Okay. Um, 
the device by then is saying though that there's only a few minutes before it's about to go off and unfortunately the bomb squad is stuck in traffic in the meantime television cameras are broadcasting this live as he's sitting there so FBI agents yeah. are inspecting the scene and Brian begins to complain the bomb is heavy he's asking for a cigarette and a priest they don't give him either one of those mm-hmm. with good reason like, they don't want to pull anyone else into this, and they don't want yeah. to give him anything that could potentially ignite anything. Then Brian begins yeah. to plead. He's really scared. He's getting more and more panicked as the seconds are ticking by. Mm-hmm. And then the bomb starts making this beeping noise at about 3.18 p.m., and then suddenly mm-hmm. it explodes, yeah. killing Brian almost immediately. It ripped a hole in his chest, and then basically I think it did something to his heart or whatnot and then he's gone right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. state police and the fbi searched the area where brian claimed he was attacked and there's no sign of anyone except for brian at that little tv tower yes where he delivered the pizza and Mm -hmm. how this happened like was it random was it a terrorist attack and no one seems to know anything they're just they're completely perplexed because yeah. None of the evidence in any of this is adding up to anything that would let them know why this happened. Why he, Why does he have a bomb on? Why did they make him do right. this? Why was he robbing a bank? Like, all these things, right? Is there even a they? Yes. Like, is it Brian? Yeah. Did it just backfire? Yeah. Was it his plan? Did it just backfire, backfire on him? You were right. So they search Brian's car, and they find copious notes giving directions for the scavenger hunt. And they mm-hmm. preserve all the evidence in his car and in his home. It's about 150 items in total. Um, They also checked the devices to ensure nothing else could go off. And they traced Mm -hmm. the call call. for that last pizza delivery to a phone booth outside a Shell gas station nearby. Okay. So police search everything for prints, but they don't find anything or any helpful clues as to the papers and who gave Brian the directions. Okay. Brian's family finds out about his death by watching the news, and they're absolutely Jeez. incredulous. So I don't believe that the bombing itself was actually shown on TV. I, it's my understanding that there was some kind of a technical glitch that happened just a little bit before that bomb went off, and that they didn't actually broadcast it, but people were filming it, and somehow clips of the explosion itself had ended up on the internet and have been posted and people can i guess look it up although why they would want yeah, to there's, i don't know there, there's video that exists i actually have seen it it's not it's not terribly terribly graphic but i mean it's still viewer discretion advised yeah i i don't recommend going and looking yeah. at that but in any case um others believe brian had so there are some people that believe brian had actually done this to himself Mm-hmm. Or somehow colluded with this unknown bomb creator in mm-hmm. a way, you know, to rob the bank and get away with it. That kind of a thing. So they search Brian's house, and there's no sign of any bomb-making materials. And everything looks pretty tidy. In the meantime, though, news reporters find a man in a house near where Brian claimed to have been attacked. He's a tall man in his 50s. He's interviewed. His name is Bill Rothstein. Okay. Okay, keep that name back in your mind. He was a handyman, substitute shop teacher, but he also loves working with electronics. Okay. And he just kind of pipes up, and he's well-spoken and intelligent. He basically speaks to a bunch of different people and claims he knows nothing about any bombings or Brian Wells, but, 
hey, I live here and I didn't see anything suspicious. So he does he insert himself into it? Like, how does he become to be interviewed? I believe the police and authorities were searching the area nearby. And since his house is there, he's just chilling outside. And of course, you know how police reporters are. Excuse me. And you know how reporters are. They just go stick their microphone in anyone near. And hey, did you see anything? You know, do you know this person? Do you know anything about this? And he kind of pipes up and says, no, no, I don't know anything about it. Okay. They also create a phone tip hotline. Mm-hmm. to get to the bottom of what happened to Brian and why. So the bomb itself was super complex and one of the most challenging that people who are experts who study this case have ever seen. It had lots of parts and sophisticated pieces. Timers provided 110 minutes, but one of them wasn't working. So he only oh. had 55 minutes to complete his tasks, get the keys, and unlock the powerful bomb around his body. Which oh. is not very much time at all, considering the amount of... no distance he had to cover the tasks he had to do etc yeah so police tracked the parts of the bomb to a nearby walmart and authorities also believe that because of the complexity of the bomb's construction attempts to disarm it would have caused it to explode and injure even mm. more people so i think yeah. that they were kind of relieved that the bomb squad didn't actually get there because they feel as though the bomb was powerful enough and sophisticated enough that if had they tried to disarm it they would have blown up Whoever was so, like, helping. it was probably designed to cause extra casual, like, yes. when somebody tried to disa- yes. disarm it, like, it was probably designed to go off yes. that way. with okay. booby traps and shrapnel <clears throat> and all kinds of other crazy stuff. Yeah. The keys to the bomb were never found. Okay. okay. Studying the bomb further, police had to remove Brian's head to keep yeah. the collar intact, which his family was just appalled by that. Yeah, obviously. But they did it in the process of the autopsy, and they also looked him over completely, and he didn't appear to have any other wounds besides the injuries from the bomb blast that would have supported his story that there was a struggle with three men who put the bomb on him. So okay, it, so he it, wasn't, like, beaten up. There's no. no evidence that he was beaten up. Okay. And they believe that it, if that had happened the way Brian had claimed it happened, then he would have some kind of marks of a, some kind of a scuffle, especially if it happened on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. Right. He would have bruises Defensive or scrapes. Something. Exactly. And he had none of that. Gotcha. No drugs or alcohol were found in his system. Okay. And upon studying the crime, authorities determined there was no way Brian could have completed the scavenger hunt and survived. So it was... It was designed to deliberately fail. designed to kill him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Police followed the directions as Brian would have just to see how long it was going to take, and they found the container at the end of it had no key. There were no keys at all. The bomb maker clearly knew what they were Ugh. going to do, and they were going to kill Brian. That's just cruel. Like, to have a container there, and that's like, that's like out of a Saw movie. Yeah. And they just didn't know if Brian knew this. Mm-hmm. Or if he was part of the deal, or maybe they deceived him. They just didn't know how much Brian knew. Police then searched Brian's belongings again and investigated the sex workers that he associated with okay. and questioned them to see if maybe there was some kind of a link there. Maybe somebody had seen something or heard something. One of the sex workers had a former boyfriend with a possible background in explosives. Mm-hmm. Uh, he happened to be black. And he worked at a plastics factory, and they kind of investigated this guy in great detail, thinking he might have a link because of the fact that he claimed three black men right. had strapped the bomb on him. But then they spoke to the sex worker's boyfriend and kept him on the list, but and then eventually cleared him. Right. 
September 20th, 2003, this Bill Rothstein guy, remember the dude from uh-huh. the news people interview around the tower where Brian had the bomb attached to him? Uh-huh. Police call him, or excuse me, he called police and tells him he has a man's body in his freezer at his house. I'm sorry? Yeah. He just randomly calls police. This is a few weeks after Brian Wells' death and says, oh, hey, by the way, I have a dead man's body in my freezer. Want to come check it out? Yeah, I think we might. I think we might swing on by. He also writes a suicide note claiming that none of this craziness has anything to do with Brian Wells. So again, like he's just like bringing <laughs> like Brian Wells volunteering. out like unsolicited. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just random information. Oh, here's this dead body, but by the way, it has n- it has nothing to do with Brian Wells. Just randomly throws the Brian Wells thing in. It's into like it, that thing right? like my dead body that has nothing to do with Brian Wells t-shirt is yeah, causing a lot basically. of questions that are answered by my shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is where things start to get really wild. Oh, this is where they get wild. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. So Bill Rothstein implicates this woman named Marjorie Deal Armstrong. Okay. More specifically, he hadn't killed for her, but he was hiding a body for her. Okay. And when police get there... They realize who this guy is, and they start to think maybe he might be involved in the bomb scenario. Even though he said you clearly so? wasn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not involved. Yeah. And you must be involved, yeah. right? Anyway, Marjorie is this 54-year-old woman. I call her Marge. Large Marge. Marge. She comes from a decent background. They have, you know, a little bit of money. She often treated people poorly, thinking she was better than them. And because of this, she had kind of a superiority complex a little bit okay just a scotch right when she was in her early 20s she met 26 year old bill rothstein he's 6'2 he's handy at a lot of things around the house i mean sounds like the perfect guy right he's tall he's handy he was a substitute teacher for her (laughs) he was a substitute teacher with an electrical kind of background knew how to make things electrical He was into photography, computer programming, theater, and a whole boatload of other interests that really don't seem like they're related. Yeah. They don't... None of them seem related. Yeah. He calls himself a jack of all traits. Ah, okay. One of those guys. So average at everything. Pretty much. Gotcha. Um, He's pretty clean cut. Doesn't smoke or drink. But his vice seems to be lying about being a Mensa member. (laughs) It's like inflating himself a little bit. This is scotch. And he also likes to illegally record phone conversations. Oh. So why? that he can kind of hold that over people. Oh, weird. Because like, he has a superiority complex as well. Oh, match me. So he's that. like super shady on the inside while appearing to be decent on the outside. Mm. You know? One of those guys. Mm-hmm. And again, these two are intellectually superior individuals. Quote. Obviously. Quotes on that one. And if you guys don't know, Menza is an exclusive group for people that are in the top 1% of an IQ test. So yes. you have to like prove yourself. To right. But like, the thing is, he never proved himself. He just claimed it. Right. And he was one of those people that narcissistic, you know, a-holes. It's like people that are in Menza don't need to tell you that. Exactly. If you're yeah. super smart and you have an IQ that's off the charts, you don't tell people that. Right. You don't need to. They yeah. can pretty much ascertain you don't that need on that their validation. Own. Exactly. So anyway, these two hit it off. You know, she's in her early 20s, he's in his mid-20s, and they, mm-hmm. they, they kind of bond over voodoo and numerology and astrology, and they get engaged in the 70s. Okay. Oh, that's very 70s. Yeah. 
But then they split up. Oh. And they decide to be just friends, which I really oh. get the sense that it was her saying, it's not you, it's me. And then he's like, I'm going to be in love with you forever. Yeah, hard to stay. It seems like it would be hard to stay friends with a former fiance. Mm, but they did. And he kind of pulled the Princess Bride thing where he's like, I'll get you everything. I'll do oh. everything for you. And she's like, I want nothing to do with you. Get off. Go away. Okay. So that's kind of the vibe we're getting here. Marjorie is said to have begun having mental health issues around okay. that time as well. And she starts seeking treatment at a mental health facility where she gets diagnosed with bipolar disorder and a whole bunch of other 80s diagnoses that don't really get used anymore, like hysteria. Okay. And oh. she's considered a man-hater. What? <laughs> that phrase, like, that can't have been a medical diagnosis. What? Like, I just can't with that. That's yeah. awful. A man-hater. I feel like that's something that my grandma, of <laughs> my grandma would have called me back in the day. Yeah. Anyway, she had been working in the secretarial field, and she attended college and graduated in 1975. She had a master's degree in education, so clearly she's bright. Uh-huh. Um, she liked guidance counseling, and she was a substitute yeah. teacher in history for a while. Um, as well and he as, was a substitute teacher, too. Yeah, they had that okay. teaching kind of thing, yeah. both of them. This is her career path. And she kind of likes music. She does a little counseling for family planning and helps at abortion-type cases. So okay. she starts working at a clinic, and she's like an abortion counselor or family planning counselor, I think mm -hmm. is what they called it. But this is really weird. So this, at this point, she gets arrested for a theft charge. She, weirdly enough, fakes a pregnancy and makes an appointment to terminate the pregnancy. What? The cost was $150, and she gets prosecuted for this for faking a pregnancy and making an appointment to terminate it for $150 and not paying for it I guess what isn't that a weird kind of a thing why go through all of that I don't you're know not... uh, maybe she wanted attention maybe she wanted sympathy she clearly yeah. had serious mental health issues yeah. she gets two years of probation for that and community service okay she goes into this rehab program and started as sort of this plea bargain thing and uh -huh. escapes any kind of criminal charges yeah but she lost her counseling job then. Yeah. Uh, for obvious reasons, right? Yeah. But she then parlays her mental health issues into a permanent disability so she can receive public housing and federal government assistance. Okay? Which seems strange. This woman with a superiority complex who comes from a somewhat wealthy family who feels yeah. like she's superior to everyone else is suddenly getting public assistance and, yeah. and is okay with that? Yeah. It just seems very contradictory. Anyway... While all of this is going on, she's dating another guy, a military vet with violent tendencies. Oh, good. And they have a super tumultuous relationship. They fight a lot. It's physical. It's violent. Mm. It's angry. They've got restraining orders. They've got all kinds of stuff going on. July 1984, right? She goes to a food bank, right? Mm -hmm. She starts chatting with a woman in line about an abusive relationship, and the two kind of hash out this plan to sell surplus butter and cheese together on the black market. Because evidently okay. there's a black market for surplus government cheese, which seems wild. I mean... That's neither here I'm nor there. So she's, you know, hashing out this plan with this fellow abused person mm -hmm. to do this. And the two women exchange contact information. But then Marjorie shows up on her doorstep, and she's got all of her belongings, and she claims she's killed her abusive boyfriend. Whoa. And she wants help getting rid of the body. Whoa. She offers her new friend $2,500 or $25,000 to assist. Where is she getting $25,000? She's 
buying government or she's getting government food and food stamps and public assistance, but she has $25,000. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't make sense. Anyway, the boyfriend allegedly beat Marjorie before she killed him. That's what okay. she claimed, right? The police are contacted and Marjorie's arrested. Kay. As she should be, right? Yeah. She claims self-defense and basically says she'd been horrifically abused. The police search her house and they find she was a hoarder. Okay. Not only do they find the body, but they find out that she was an extreme hoarder. She's got food everywhere. Tons of crap. Clothes, hangers, magazines, books. Books on mental illness. Keep that in so mind as well. they find the boyfriend's body in her house. Yeah, but she's so an extreme hoarder. body in Brian Rothstein's... No. Or what's his face, Rothstein's? Okay. No, ma'am. <clears throat> oh, boy. Okay. Everything in this house is super smelly. She's got rotting food. She's got a rat infestation. Mm. Just nastiness. Evidently, three to five times a week, Marjorie had been collecting food under the name of herself and a bunch of other people. Oh, wow. Okay. Four tons of food was taken out what? of that house worth around $10,000. Oh, my God. They also found the boyfriend, as I mentioned, who'd been shot six times, and he was on the couch. Okay. okay. So he's laying on the couch, shot six times. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's self-defense? See... Not I don't so sure about that. Because six times is like a lot. There's like it's emotion a connected to that. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Okay. So Marjorie's attorneys claim she's unfit to stand trial. And they have multiple mental health evaluations that are kind of given to her to confirm this. January 1988, Marjorie is finally found to be competent and she stands trial. Mm-hmm. It takes about 10 days to find her not guilty of murder charges. What? They do find her guilty of having a gun without a license. Which That's the only thing I could get her on? Seems absolutely like the most random thing ever. How is it that she was acquitted when his body was in her house with six bullet holes in it? Clearly she claims self-defense or something of that nature. Hmm. She gets 15 months probation for that. For the gun charge. Yeah. 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 And then she meets another man. He's also got violent and dysfunctional tendencies, right? Mm-hmm. So she's good at that. Marjorie and her new man like music, psychology, and the two share this criminal background. He's got a criminal background as well of her, and he's also got some mental health issues, which, okay. you know, birds of a feather. Yeah. This guy has schizophrenia. Oh, boy. he can't keep a job. He also has some major issues with obsessive-compulsive disorder. Like, he likes drinking bleach because he's obsessed with staying clean. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Obsessive compulsive disorder. Like, I, it's one of those that gets, like, joked around a lot where people are like, I'm, like, so OCD, I have to do this. And it's like, no, it's actually, like, a really debilitating disorder. Yeah. Seriously. And he's got just all kinds of bonkers issues. And, like, the other crappy relationships, this guy assaults her and threatens to kill her. He gets arrested at some point. She calls the police and is like, I'm done with this. And he goes okay. to jail for a year. He gets out, and he and Marjorie reunited, and it feels so good. That's very common, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, They have this love affair continuing. I say that in the loosest sense of the word, Mm -hmm. because this guy then collapses on the floor after hitting his head, and he gets rushed to the hospital and dies of a stroke two days later. Okay, is that really what happened? Doubtful. Okay. Meanwhile... Marjorie is looking to cash in on the whole experience. She sues the hospital for malpractice, uh, where the the hospital that her man got treatment at, and she gets two hundred fifty thousand dollars in settlement. Wow, 
And then for the next 10 years, she gets another man and spends her time with this guy who's another violent relationship who threats to injure her and there's jail time, there's restraining orders and all that other drama Mm because she can't seem to stay away from those types of guys. And she gets diagnosed at that point with schizoaffective disorder. Oh, okay. I don't... Is that a common... Is that used anymore? Um, I mean, it's probably just as common as schizophrenia. It's... I think it's like a mild... Like, you have symptoms of schizophrenia, but it's not enough Do they use it still, though? I believe so. Oh, interesting. She's got that along with her bipolar disorder, Mm -hmm. evidently. Marjorie then gets it into her head that she needs to get a hold of her parents' nearly $2 million estate when her mother dies. Okay. So she kind of applies for, I think, conservatorship or the authority uh to basically handle that estate and gets denied. Then she becomes obsessed with revenge on the bank that wouldn't let her get into her mother's safety deposit box. Let me guess, was it PNC Bank? Hmm. Yes, great guess. How could you even put those two I things tell you together? What, you know, You're so bright. I've been doing this for a while, <laughs> so not everybody can expect to have these same results. Marjorie then meets another guy. This guy's a drug dealer who happens to be good with electronics. She seems to have a knack for these yeah. guys with electronics and shady criminals and mental health issues. All of it, all combined. And this guy is no, um, no different than the rest. He actually rents rooms to sex workers for drugs and cash and does a lot of other shady stuff besides dealing the drugs. And this is where he meets Brian Wells because Brian is Brian Wells. Yes. Okay. So Brian Wells has been hanging out with one of the sex workers that rents rooms from this guy, the drug dealer. Okay. And this links Marjorie to Brian Wells with a neat little bow tie. Tied it up with the bow tie. (laughs) I'm so waiting to figure out how they all get together, but yeah. And then mid-2003, Marjorie and her crew of delinquents drive around, eerie, and then they have car trouble. Okay, so this crew of delinquents includes who? The drug dealer. The boyfriend. (laughs) The boyfriend. A bunch of other people. Like her her current violent, mentally ill boyfriend Uh and the drug dealer and um, maybe... Yeah, it wasn't Bill. Just the, okay. the, yeah. She's hanging out with the drug dealer and with her boyfriend. She's running have, with the rough crew. Yeah, she is. They have car trouble. Okay. And who do you think they call? Bill? Besides the Ghostbusters. <laughs> they call Bill Rothstein. Because he's good with electronics. Yeah, and he's ever in love with her. Yeah. He has, his love never dies. Uh, this is the guy with the house near the TV station mm-hmm. that Brian supposedly had the bomb attached to him at. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't track that, I just helped you there. That was a little clue. <laughs> just just in case. Okay? So this fun little relationship with Bill's unrequited everlasting love for Marjorie, he goes and bails her out. It's kind of a princess bride type situation, uh-huh. like I mentioned earlier. And she just uses him, basically. Yeah. And evidently, that's when she got a shotgun and shot her latest boyfriend. And she offered to give Bill Rothstein cash to help her get rid of the body. Okay, right. so Bill goes to help them with the car trouble, and this is when Marjorie kills the boyfriend? Yeah. Whoa, yeah. okay. And then she offers Bill money to get rid of the body. Again, where does she have this money? And this was just a few weeks before the incident with Brian Wells, August 2003. Okay. Okay. But Bill calls police a few weeks after the collar bomb incident to report the murdered boyfriend in his freezer. Okay. okay. Are yeah. you tracking the time frame here? Yes. September 2003, police get to the scene and nab Marjorie. The charges are starting to pile up, as you can imagine by Uh now, right? 
Meanwhile, police do a search of Bill's property, and they have to put on hazmat suits because he, like Marjorie, is a disgusting extreme hoarder who has rats and stinkiness and bugs and all kinds of other nastiness. And they find that suicide note that I mentioned earlier where Uh he claims, I didn't have anything to do with Brian Wells. Yeah, there's a dead guy in my freezer, but I didn't do it, and I had nothing to do with Brian Wells. But he did not die by suicide, correct? Who? Bill. Yeah. No death by suicide. He did not die by suicide. Oh, okay, okay. He wrote a suicide note, but clearly he didn't follow through with it, right? Which is like, this is just wild. Why would you even do that? And then leave it laying around so someone can find it. Okay, so he claims he had nothing to do with Marjorie's boyfriend's death, and at the crime scene are all these clues, and they're all kind of pointing in his direction for, like, participation with just about everything that you can think of. Any kind of criminal activity that they're investigating, he's got it in his garage. Okay. And so they're like, hey, dude, you want to testify against her? We'll give you a sweet deal. Yeah. So while they're investigating, police find Bill's roomie, who's a criminal on the run for rape he charges. He has a roommate? He has a roommate. Crazy, huh? Um, and this is while they're kind of investigating and finding all the, the deets on this case. And they find this, you know, he's a, a gem of a guy, too. He's on the run for rape charges and it's previously been prosecuted for rape charges and spent time in jail for it. So he sounds like a gem as well. Yeah. And the authorities are questioning him, like, hey, do you know anything about this? And he gives Bill an alibi, saying that on the day of Brian Wells' death, he was with him. So the roomie gets cleared. Okay. He takes a polygraph test, and evidently that's enough for the police. They're like, you're good. Gotta go. Yeah. Police are narrowing in on Bill Rothstein, though. But they don't bring him in for the rape charges? No. Oh, okay. Bill, then, by the way, says he was on a wine-tasting trip with Marge on the day Brian Wells was killed. I'm not sure I'd peg this guy as a wine taster. No, he does. <laughs> I, I mean, mean I don't want to judge, like, but like, that I'm just sorry, seems a little fancy. His story just changes like 150 times, like yeah. in this short space of time. Not only that, but maybe it's not changing, but he just keeps adding these little layers of all these. Oh, and then I also remembered that we were excavating for gold. Seriously, yeah, <laughs> we were panning for coin in yeah. this little river, and then I got a metal detector, and there was all kinds of fun <laughs> stuff happening at the same time. And yeah. by the way, I had nothing to do with Brian Wells. And death. then we went on a picnic in a hot air balloon. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> as they're questioning this guy again, and he's like, oh, I had nothing to do because I, I was at a wine tasting. He says, oh, by the way, I was using the payphone that was traced to the call <laughs> for the pizza delivery that Brian Wells made. Again, unsolicited information. Yeah. And the police are like, hey, this is a strange link. Yeah. Hmm. Should we investigate? Probably. Uh, so the, poli- the police charge Bill with a bunch of different things for helping Marjorie with her dead boyfriend. And they're like, hey, we're reserving the right to charge you later for the stuff related to Brian Wells' death. But in the so meantime, like, we're bringing you in. They're throwing a lot of stuff at him to get him to turn on Marjorie, basically. Pretty much. Okay. January 2004... The um, hearing for Marge's boyfriend murder begins. Bill testifies against Marjorie, gives all the goods, blames Marjorie for her boyfriend's death. No surprise there, right? Mm -hmm. Marjorie didn't testify. She was in the middle of a psych evaluation that was supposed to last six months. Whoa. She was in a state hospital, okay? Wow. Getting this done because they're like, she's got serious mental issues. And they're like, "How how do we know? Six months of testing should tell us. 
Yeah. <laughs> just like, really? Six That's months? Awesome. I don't know how long they normally take, but that does seem like long. I'm not long. clear as to whether it takes six months for the psych eval or whether they did the psych eval, determined that she was unfit to stand trial, and kept her in there until she was fit. Oh, I see. Okay. In any case, you know, yeah. we can speculate. Uh, Bill Rothstein dies of cancer while Marge oh. is in the hospital. Okay. Cool. Just coincidence, right? So, okay. He said he couldn't remember where he was on the day of, Brian's Wells, of Brian Wells' death. Okay, okay so he changes his story. My bad. Guess yeah. what? I wasn't at the wine tasting oh. with Marge, but I don't know where I was that day. Okay. I know I wasn't there. I don't know where I was, but I know I, know, I wasn't I there. I know where I wasn't. <laughs> <clears throat> I just don't know where I was. And by then, Margie gets a clearance to stand trial, and they determined... Although she was not fully functional, she can go to trial September 9th, 2004. Okay. So they're like, let's get her on the stand. So this is like a year after the Brian Wells thing. Yes. Okay. January 2005, she gets a plea deal. She's guilty but mentally ill to third-degree murder, not for the Brian Wells case, but this is for the, the killing of her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So she gets charges of abuse of a corpse... And then she pleads guilty to that, and then in exchange for that, they drop the rest of the charges. Her max sentence was 20 to 40 years. Okay. She gets 7 to 20. Whoa. Okay. Okay. This allows as well, because she, she they were originally, the max sentence would have been 20 to 40 if she had been charged with all these other things and, and been oh. found guilty. But she gets 7 to 10 years because she strikes a plea bargain. Gotcha. Okay. okay. This allows her to get mental health treatment and then parole after about seven years. Okay. Okay, and all of this is happening while the Brian Wells case is still being investigated and built. Okay. 18 months later, February 2005, the profile for whoever killed Brian Wells is released to the public by the FBI. Evidently, the FBI believed there was more than one person involved in the plot. They said this person enjoyed the feeling of power they were obsessive and manipulative. They were patient, complex, into revenge. They were very focused. They were secretive, deceptive, invested in this. They were on the scene watching, probably, as this whole thing went down. They would have wood, metal, machinery, expertise, and pride in their work. They would be resourceful. They would be experienced with devices. They would follow the media after. They would be quiet and disdainful for law enforcement. There would be a superiority complex. Brian Wells was not randomly chosen, and the PNC bank vendetta thing was a personal grievance. Who does this sound like? Sounds like both Bill and Marjorie. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. You are just I well Darcy, know, like blowing yeah, it up the tonight. The FBI has reached out to me to solve some of their longest cold cases. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, two months later, say police meet with Marjorie, and she claims Bill Rothstein lied. Uh, well, yeah, he was involved he's dead now, so he can't do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, he was involved in both the Brian Wells case and her boyfriend's death. Um, her boyfriend was killed when he threatened to tell authorities because he knew about the Brian Wells case. Oh. See what I mean? I do see what you but mean. But she says, hey, Bill was a mastermind behind all of yeah, this. Obviously. And Brian Wells was willing and involved in the planning. Everyone else was dead, right. except Bill's roomie and the drug guy, the drug dealer, okay. who were involved in this. Okay? They are involved. Yes. Okay. They find a note from Bill apologizing for Brian Wells' situation to the roomie. Okay. Okay. 
the roomie denies any direct involvement. He's like, you caught me, you found the note, you know I'm connected, but I wasn't directly involved. Of course, okay. right? I mean, how is, it, he, is he really going to claim it? I don't know. You're not going to claim it. Then America's Most Wanted airs an episode September 2005 about the Brian Wells bombing and tips start coming in. America's Most Wanted. Gem of a show. Yeah, Love a it. Show. And a UPS delivery guy remembers that on the day Brian died, he saw this man using a payphone and he identifies Bill Rothstein and Marjorie, both at the phone booth, okay. calling for the pizza. November 2005. That's a weird thing to remember two years later. Right? Isn't that Somebody so random? And he's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't come forward before because I was scared. But it just seems so random. Like, how would a UPS driver remember that? Yeah. It just seems like, weird. Like, how many people do you see using a payphone during the yeah. day? And you're like, that's nah. the one I'm going to remember. That's wild. Uh, yeah. Anyway, by November 2005, an inmate with that was in the cell with Marjorie says she blabbed about the entire plot <laughs> to her cellmate. And Bill and Marjorie are heavily involved. The motivation was money and revenge on the PNC Bank. Um, one of Brian's friends at the pizza delivery place was also involved, and they'd given him drugs to shut him up, making it look like he had an accidental overdose. So here's the, another the friend at party the pizza involved. Place they gave, they gave him yeah, drugs. he was a coworker at the pizza place, and he ended up dying of a, of a drug overdose. Whoa! Shortly after the Brian Wells death. Whoa! Okay, they thought it was unrelated that he just committed suicide, and now they're finding out after all of this is starting to come out that this guy was involved, and they'd given him drugs as payment, and given him too much, and made it look like it was a suicide. Whoa! To get rid of him, to shut him up. Okay. Okay. Now everything is linked. I mean, I kind of. I'm. I'm like barely following, but okay. <laughs> the whole thing started in 2003 with a drug dealer buddy. He's the same guy that rented the rooms to Brian Wells' sex worker friend. Uh -huh. Marjorie had asked this guy to kill her father so she could get her inheritance early. Okay. Okay, so she's connecting with this, you know, shady guy and like, hey, can you kill my dad for me? And he's got the connection to Brian Wells because Brian right. Wells is a dude that's hanging out in his house with the sex worker, okay? The drug dealer said Marjorie needed $250,000 with $100,000 up front to do the deed. And he says, oh, I was just joking, but she believed me. So Marjorie then concocts this plan with Bill to get Brian to rob the bank for the money to kill her father. So they, they concoct this plan, hey, we're going to get somebody to rob a bank by putting this bomb on his neck, and that'll get us the money so that we can pay to have my father killed so I can get my $2 million inheritance early. How is that the plan you come up with? And they're like, who should we get to do it? Oh, hey, there's this guy that hangs out in my house with a sex worker. We should use him. He seems like he would work. So this whole right? thing is to kill her father. Yes. Wow. So the drug dealer also confirmed that Brian was in on the plot, but he thought the bomb was fake. Oh. So, so that explains why him, he was so calm and everything before. Well, no, listen. Oh, sorry. The group rehearsed, telling him the bomb is fake. We're just going to put a fake bomb on you. You're going to be fine. And Brian is like, okay, I'm going to get some money for this. I'm down. You know, mm -hmm. what harm could it possibly do? They were telling him as well that, hey, because you're a hostage type of a situation, they, they can't prosecute you. You're off the hook. Mm -hmm. You'll be good. Don't worry about it. So on and so forth. Um, then they all waited for Brian. And when they were actually putting the bomb on him, he realized it was real. Oh. And he starts freaking out. And that's when they, like, took him to the ground and put the bomb around, forced the bomb around him. Oh. And they're all telling him, you're going to be fine, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no freaking way, because it's heavy, and it's he knows it's real, and he's freaking out. 
And once the bomb was strapped on, they hand him the gun and tell him to go to the bank, and he really has no choice at that point because it's strapped on him, and he, he, yeah. he there's nothing he can do. Besides, I think that they were kind of his friend was there, the one, the coworker from the pizza place, uh-huh. and he was like, "You're gonna be fine. You'll get the stuff. You'll be fine. You're smart. You're good at scavenger hunts. You'll be good. You have all the notes in your car. Yeah. You know, this is an easy thing. You're gonna get the money. Don't worry about it." Um, the two group, two of the group members drive down to the bank to watch the whole thing with binoculars uh-huh. as they're handing him the gun and telling him to go rob the bank. And they all bailed to Bill's house when the police grabbed Brian. Okay. Then Marge and Bill were panicked and they threatened death with anyone who told on them. Okay. So they're like, we know all these people are involved. We know all these people know the details. Anyone that says anything is, we're going to kill you. Yeah, because they're loose ends now. Evidently, Bill was the one behind the bomb part, and Marjorie wanted to rob the bank. And Bill created the bomb. Why did they make a real bomb? I don't know. Okay. They could have just been just as effective with a fake one. Yeah. But I think they wanted to eliminate Brian Wells. Because okay. he's just another person with knowledge of I their guess, crimes. Yeah. They told him to stay, or excuse me, they also told him at that point to say three black men put the bomb on him, mm-hmm. and that he wouldn't be charged because he was a hostage, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Evidently, Bill knew that his cancer was terminal by that point and devised the plan because he didn't care anymore and he wanted to play God, sort of a mastermind of the ultimate crime. Manipulator extreme, right? Yeah. Uh, The drug dealer was held and police searched his home. All of it was nasty as well, like a hoarder. They found bomb stuff and instructions, etc., but they couldn't link any of the items to the Brian Wells case, which seems so crazy to me. Like, he's got bomb stuff. Right, like, but there's only it's one in no bomb way that we know of in the Erie area, but they, we can't link it. The police eventually charge her with participating in the plot, and she gets a public defender. Bill's roommate gets a deal and testifies that he saw a show where a woman was forced to rob a bank with a bomb on, and he told Bill and Marjorie about this. And they were like, that sounds like an amazing plan. Oh my gosh. So the roomie was part of everything and was threatened with death. He didn't help, so he cooperated and testifies with full immunity. Hmm. Okay. Okay. July 2007, a federal grand jury indicts Marjorie and charges her after as well with a drug dealer buddy in the background, like, hey, she did it. Yeah. I'll give you all the details. Bill Rothstein and Brian Wells were also um, said to be conspirators, and they were indicted on that as well, even though they were dead. Okay. Um, Brian's family was pissed, though. They were like, we're protesting because right. he had nothing to do with this. He would never have done this. We don't believe it. Yeah. Um, how dare you say this about him? You have no proof, blah, blah, blah. It also kind of seems like he's not a willing participant once he realizes the bomb is real. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, but the thing is, he was involved in the planning. Yeah, I guess right? that's true. So uh, they they may try to make it sound like he was completely innocent. Right. Like he had nothing to do with this. He was just a... They snatched him off the street kind of a thing, but I do believe he did. Why would everyone say he was involved if he wasn't involved? I don't... I mean, why would anyone do any of this? Yeah, it's all (laughs) crazy. Marjorie pleads not guilty, and the drug dealer agrees to testify against her for a plea deal. Okay. You know, they're like, hey, let's do this. I've already done one testify, and let me do it again. Her attorneys claim she isn't fit to stand trial, and her actions are more and more erratic. She's, like, being very unhelpful. And evidently, the court orders a psych eval again, uh-huh. and this shows that she's been diagnosed, misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder. She had evidently mimicked the symptoms to trick earlier doctors. Whoa. Okay. She gets ruled competent to stand trial. She's got a bunch of other stuff going on with her, but she was not bipolar. Okay. 
Um, but just before the trial, she's diagnosed with cancer. March 2010, she has a tumor removed. Everybody in this case has cancer. It's crazy. And it's probably because of the area they live in. Yeah. Well, she gets a, a tumor removed, and then they determine the, the cancer's in her breast and her lymph nodes and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And she has a 7 to 10-year life expectancy at that point mm -hmm. in March 2010. The drug dealer gets 45 years for his part in it. And the roomie doesn't get any time, but evidently he had a couple of strokes and open heart surgery and never asked, gets asked to testify. So wow. his part in it is pretty much done at that point. November 1st, 2010, after a 10-day trial, the jury gives a guilty verdict on all counts. And February 2010, Marjorie gets life plus 30 years with no possibility of parole for her role in the Brian Wells case. Okay. The drug dealer eventually got his sentence reduced to 22 years and in 2027 his um he should be released wow okay all of marjorie's appeals have been denied october 16 2014 parole was granted for the boyfriend his murder right so uh -huh. she got that case she got the time for that one in a state prison and then she was scheduled to be transferred to the federal prison for the brian wells case okay, okay. March 21st, 2017, she's found unresponsive in her cell, and Marjorie died two weeks later, April 4th, 2017, at the age of 68. Oh, my gosh. And that's the case. Okay, 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 okay. It's a wild one. I feel like we need to wrap it up. Like, wrap up yes. like a... In conclusion, this is what happened. Marjorie wanted money from her parents. She wanted the inheritance, but she was found incompetent to be their conservator or power of attorney to manage Correct. their estate. She decides she wants to exact revenge on this bank because they've wronged her. Yes. Her friend Bill has a roommate who's like, hey, I saw this story where a girl had to rob a bank with because she had a bomb tied around her neck. And they're yes. like, hey, that's a good idea. I'm going to build a bomb. Who are we going to get to do it? Let's get this, this random pizza delivery person that we... No, he wasn't random. He was in the sex well, worker house. Well, we, we, know, we know of this guy, but we don't have a lot of connections to him. He'll sense. do it. He seems shady. Yeah. He, he sees sex like workers. He's we'll, got to be shady. We'll throw him a couple bucks. He's going to be in on it. We're going to tell him it's a fake bomb. But we're really going to make it a real bomb. And we don't really have an explanation for why we're doing that other than we need to tie up a loose end and he doesn't need to testify against us. Right. So then he they, they fake this pizza order. He takes the call because he knows what's, what's up. And then he goes and makes the delivery. They strap the bomb to him. He goes about his way, this, that, the other, on the little scavenger hunt. I think he was confident. I mean, I think he was scared the bomb was on him, but I think he thought he was really smart, and he's like, hey, I'm good at scavenger hunts, yeah. so, like, I can do this. I wonder if, like, that was part of his involvement is making it a scavenger hunt. Because you said know. he liked scavenger hunts, so maybe he, he was did. like, yeah, let's make it, like, I have to do this, this, and this, maybe. Who knows? But they doesn't okay. So everyone that was involved to, is pretty much dead now. So yeah, they never seem to come like plan for a way to receive the money. No, because he didn't have he didn't even have enough time to like get through all of this. So what were they gonna do? I think they planned all along to get rid of him. Like they were using him. Right, like, but they told like, them they were gonna give him money. But like all along they knew they were gonna put a real bomb on him. Right, but at some point they would have had to have gotten the money from him before he, the bomb went off. No? Yeah, he was supposed to like his little list of tasks was to like hand the money off, and they were waiting for him in the parking lot. Oh, so he was gonna hand the money off before he went on to his next like, yes. scavenger. Or he was gonna leave the, the money somewhere, that kind of a thing. I see. Okay. And I mentioned that they went down.
watched him in the parking lot with binoculars. And he told the police, hey, whoever it was that did this is waiting for me. They watched to know, make sure that I was doing what I was supposed to do. So got you. Okay. This also was made into a very silly, I don't remember if it was a romantic comedy or just a comedy, but it was with Jesse Eisenberg. He was a pizza delivery driver. Oh, it sounds awful. It was not good, but I don't remember the name of it. I just, uh, the whole case from start to finish is like some bad script written by somebody. Banana sandwich. Yeah. And I just feel bad for Brian Wells. Yeah. I mean, no one deserves to die like that. No. I mean, and, and much less, you know, somebody who was just a poor guy trying to get on with his life and just wanted to make a couple extra bucks on the yeah. side and had no idea somebody was using him in that manner. But I just, like. Bill and Marjorie. Holy moly. Yeah. Two disgusting. Who's gross, the worst of those two? Like you awful, can't even decide. Monstrous individuals. Yeah. yeah. I think Marjorie was worse. You do. It doesn't he, seem like Bill's it the one seem that like made Bill, a real bomb. I know, but like she killed a bunch of people. He only That's killed true. like one. I mean, I although guess. he made the bomb and he, he made, made it so bomb. it would like destruct anyone who tried to dismantle it. He could so, have like, made clearly, a fake bomb. Clearly, he was intending to do some yeah. damage. Yeah. And, and he knew he was like, terminal, yeah. so he was like, "Who cares? Right. Die." Right. Yeah. Just terrible. Awful, awful, awful. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up since we're now at an hour and 20 minutes. I mean, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But there was a lot to unwrap on yes, that Yes, there was. For sure. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about this case or any of the other ones that we've talked about on the show, you can shoot us an email. We're at the podcast at gmail.com. I have been posting pictures lately. Darcy, where do I post them? You post them on our Instagram. We are at the BFD podcast on Instagram. And that is where Sarah has posted. I saw the Mary Vincent photo today. Um, and I posted so, some really sweet yeah. images. And they also made a Netflix 80s documentary hair. out of this Brian Wells story. story. They did. I haven't seen yeah. it. But, um, so go check that out, yeah. too, if you want to. I'm sure you can find it online. Yeah. If you just do a search for the Brian Wells. It was on Netflix. Case. I don't remember. if it, I don't know if it still is. But, um, but yeah, very interesting. So that's where we'll post photos and images of this poor guy and the whole deal yeah so please join us again next week as we talk more about weird wacky and wild cases good night podcast peeps stay safe keep it real and always live your very best